And who's invited so that you can just relax, focus on Jesus during that time? We practice what in the service is called an open service. In other words, if you trust in Christ alone, very carefully want to word this so you'll understand, trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then we invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper. Because what the Lord's Supper is, it's a a visual representation that the Lord ordained that we do regularly in order to remember the significance of his body and blood being shed for our sins. You don't have to be a member of this church, but you do have to be a member of God's family, trusting in Christ alone. So at the end of our message, we'll naturally transition into that. We want you to just be able to participate and focus on Christ during that time. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at verse uh, chapter 13, 2 Samuel chapter 13. And as a way of review, if you'll remember what happened in chapter 12, we saw David's outrageous sin with Bathsheba. If you remember, David sinned. He saw her beauty. He took. He then tried to cover it up by getting her husband, Uriah, drunk and had him killed. I say that review very succinctly because you're going to see it mirrored in our passage today with his children. We work verse by verse through the Bible. We believe God chose to put every word, every letter in this Bible very intentionally, and every one of them is important. We don't have the choice to pick and choose what we want to study and, 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 and focus on. Today is perhaps one of the most difficult texts to study and to think about intensely. It brings us up very close very personal with outrageously wicked sin. One man horrifically sins against a godly woman. It's painful. Everything in me wants to recoil and not think about this chapter, especially not spend our time thinking about it deeply as a church. But we don't have that choice. The Lord has convicted me in our preparation that No, you won't speed through this. You will slow down, in fact, because that's what the text does. It's big panoramic scenes. We've been having narratives of years flying by, and then we stop in this chapter and get very personal with someone and their sin. This is going to force us to think about sin, think about our own sin, and It's not comfortable, but God has a good reason for it. Lord, as painful as it is for us, would you open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear how gruesome sin is in general and our own sin so that we do not allow ourselves ourselves to be ruled by the sinful passions of the flesh. Lord, would you graciously grant us a heart of repentance? And Lord, most especially, please draw near to those listening to this message who have been sexually abused in any form or fashion. Comfort them by your spirit. Give them abundant grace during this time. With each reminder of pain, Lord, remind them of your infinite love for them and of your perfect justice that you will bring one day. And may they run to you as their refuge and their strength. 
It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Beginning in verse 1, we read, Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And so what you have is David's eldest son, Amnon, loved, and we use that term loosely, the author is using that love and that word love initially to kind of get you into the mind frame of Amnon, who is not loving, but calling it that, his half-sister, Tamar. It says in verse 2, just difficult to read verses, Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed, listen to how it's worded, it's terrible, it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. We read that correctly. His sister is a faithful woman of God, a virgin. Amnon is sick with his sinful, lustful desires. He has objectified her so that his only view is what he, he has made himself sick because he can't do to her what he wants to do to her. Why can't he? Well, it's sin. It's the daughter of the king. It's his sister. Yet he is letting his passions consume him. Let me be clear. This is not love. This is lust. Love puts the needs of the other and says, I will sacrifice to provide and care for. This is pure, unadulterated, sinful, wicked, evil lust. Objectifying others to Try to satisfy self, selfish desires and sinful desires. Amnon is ruled by his evil passions, his selfish desires, his lustful passions of his darkened heart. Titus, our New Testament, tells us in chapter 3, verse 3, that before Christ... We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led led astray, and slaves to various passions and pleasures, enslaved by the passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. That's, That's Amnon. That's who we all are apart from the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So Amnon for us, as hard as it is to listen and look and read is a mirror of the depths of the sin of our heart apart from the grace of God. Amnon is what Jesus saves us from. And that's why God has it in the scriptures and is saying, read it, think about it, meditate on it for a whole chapter. In verse 3, It says, but Amnon had a friend, again, no friend, but he had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, so he's a family member, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. Now, as good readers of the Bible, does that sound familiar, that term, crafty? There's only one other time it's used previous to this text. 
Do you know where it is? Genesis 3.1, Satan, the serpent, says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The author is intentionally saying to you, this is straight up Satan. And the way the garden is written, the the passage of the Garden of Eden, the, the fall of man, the serpent is offering a wisdom counter to God's wisdom. God created man and woman, nestled them in the garden, gave them protection from all their enemies and said, just trust me, obey me. Don't eat of a foreign wisdom, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Trust me that I know what's best for you. Take my word, my instructions, my worldview, live by that and you will enjoy the life of blessing in God's presence. Uh, an alternative wisdom, that word wisdom, crafty, shrewd, all come from the same Hebrew word. An alternative wisdom is provided as a temptation. They saw, it looked delightful, they took, and they fell. This is all intentionally written by our authors to, to help us to see the fall of Adam and Eve is parallel to the fall of David when he saw the beauty of Bathsheba, he took. And it's parallel to David's sons, as we will see today. They see, they take, they act wickedly. Why would he do this? Because he wants you to see the root of sin is abandoning the wisdom of God revealed in his word. You look for an alternative wisdom outside of God's word for your life, and this is where you end up. Amnon is redefining things. He's calling lust love. He's allowing himself to be ruled by the passions of his flesh, and as a result, he has no concern for Tamar, who is about to... He is about to commit unspeakable sin against her, his own sister. How in the world does he get there? By going outside of God's word for his directions and disobeying God. So what kind of wisdom does this crafty Jonadab offer? Verse 4, he said to him, O son of the king, you deserve to be happy. Isn't that where it happens? Starts so often. Oh, why should you walk around haggard morning after morning? Tell me. And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. That's an interesting way to word it. And Jonadab said to him with his wicked scheming, well, here's what you need to do. Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I might see it and eat from her hand, that I might see and take and eat. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I might eat from her hand. So then David sent 
home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar, this godly woman, selflessly, sacrificially serves and cares for the needs of her brother, obeying the will of her father, went into her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes, and she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber, that I might eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made, brought them into the chamber to Ammon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took. He took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. I want you to listen carefully to Tamar's words. She is a godly woman, woman vocalizing the wisdom of God. And in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, we see this pattern repeated over and over out of the middle of nowhere, like Abigail coming to David and giving God's wisdom, a wise woman coming and saying, stop. And God's using that woman to preserve life. And and you see this pattern all throughout. And here we see it again with, with Tamar offering God's truth, God's word. Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 27 made it clear this is horrible sin. This is incest. This is rape. There is no ambiguity here. Amnon's not confused. This wasn't allowed in the Old Testament. This is not ambiguity. It is sin. God's word had made it clear, and Amnon had rejected God's word and is not listening to it. And what does she say? This is what she says in verse 12. She answered him, no, my brother, Do not violate me. That's what the word of God calls it. Do not violate me, she says. For such a thing is not done in Israel. This is not God's will for his people. God has revealed his word to his people Israel that they might live according to his word and bring to all the nations a picture of the glory of the one true God, the creator of the universe who has great ideas and great purposes for your life. That is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous, wicked, evil thing to me. Please, do not sin against me. She says no. In no uncertain terms. And she warns him, this is evil sin. This is not how God's people act. It's outrageous. And God says we should be outraged when people are treated this way. When the powerful abuse the weaker. And then she tries to plead with him. 
Do you see how destructive this will be for my life? As for me, she says, a key question of the text, where could I carry my shame? Where could the oppressed, the afflicted, the powerless, the marginalized carry this type of shame? We'll answer that in a moment. And then she warns him of the consequences for his own life. She says, as for you, you would be seen as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. That could be translated godless wretch. You would be known as one of the godless wretches of the people of God. Don't do it. Listen to the word of God, to the warnings. Repent. And then she desperately tries to make a plea for just an act of desperation. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, our dad, for he will not hold you, withhold me from you. Perhaps she was thinking of a marriage arrangement or something. It really is no biblical grounds for it, but she's a woman of desperation here. But he would not listen to the word of God that she spoke. And being stronger than she was, he violated her. And he lay with her. In a moment. And if that's not bad enough, verse 15 says, Then Amnon, in his guilt and his shame... And his sinful passions not being satisfied, hated her with very great hatred. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love, than the lust with which he had lusted for her. And Amnon said to her two simple Hebrew words, up, out. kicked her to the curb like trash. He objectified her, used her, destroyed her for his own wicked gain, and then removed her and kicked her to the curb. Jesus says, I came for her. Listen to her words, her pain. This is what Satan wants to do through you to hurt others. She said, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. She'll have no one. And that culture and society, she's ruined. But he would not listen. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe 
with sleeves. For thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. She wore this beautiful long robe with beautiful flowing sleeves that indicated to all, this is a woman of royalty and purity. And so his servant put her out, bolted the door after her, and Tamar grieved. She put ashes on her head, and she ripped the long robe off, for that is what he took from her. And she laid her hand on her head, and she went away, crying aloud as she went. In her society, she would be abandoned, virtual hopelessness. No one would marry her, and to be married would be cared for. Praise God, Absalom, her other brother, hears about it, takes her into the family, and verse 20 says, So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, but in her brother Absalom's house. Lord, we pause at this moment to weep for the brokenhearted. We grieve with those who have been abused by those in power. Oh Lord, we ask with Tamar, where can they turn? Oh Lord, help them turn to Jesus. For the psalmist says, In chapter 9, verse 7, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. He will get justice for the victims, for the afflicted. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. For you who avenge blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Lord, help all who have been treated wickedly. No, you do not forget their cries. And you will get justice. in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Two years later, Absalom gets revenge. It's not a godly way of handling it, but the justice in all of us says, bring it on. Then Absalom commanded his servants, verse 28, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. I've commanded you. Be courageous. Be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. So Absalom got Amnon drunk, had him killed. There was a proper way to let justice be carried out. That was not God's will. But do you notice the pattern? This is exactly what David did 
with Uriah. Sent Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, off to get drunk and then had him killed. Same exact pattern is being repeated. Lusting for something forbidden. Taking, covering up sin, heaping sin upon sin. The author wants us to not only see this is what happened in the fall, this is what happened with David, this is what happened with David's son, this is what happens with us. He also wants us to see the consequences are devastating. Sin is not a private matter. People suffer when you sin. David's children suffered as they now are repeating the sins of their father. Our sins affect our relationship with God. Our sin affects our relationships with others. Our sin affects our children. Our sin destroys lives. The chapter ends with David's family in complete disarray, as we'll see next week. The next chapter is a parallel of Cain slaying Abel in chapter 4 of Genesis. It says, David mourned day after day. This is the fall of the Davidic dynasty. All this comes on the heels of David's sin with Bathsheba. Consequences of sin are serious and devastating on so many levels. Don't believe Satan's lie. It's not a big deal. Nobody knows. You're not hurting anything. You're not hurting anyone. That's not God's wisdom. So what's the point for us today? The point is for us to see the horrors of sin. And to stop and think about it. Don't recoil and look away. Look at it. Look in the mirror. Don't deny it. Own your own sin. I need to do that. We all need to do that. But why? For several reasons. Number one, so that we will grieve with those who have been violated and afflicted and oppressed. Not only grieve with them, but then like Jesus, enter into their sufferings. Care for them, love them, minister to them, provide for them, give them a family, give them a community, give them a place where they're not ashamed, give them a place where they're loved, and then tell them you can trust in Jesus. Lead them to seek refuge and comfort and care and love in Christ And promise them he has heard their afflictions. He hears their cries and he will get justice. We also need to think about sin deeply today because we need to repent of our own sin. We need to see how horrific it is so that we hate it. We don't toy with it. We don't trifle with it. We don't call it something it's not. It's evil. 
so that we can turn to Jesus and be forgiven for it and to be cleansed. We don't stop here. We don't leave it where it is. We need to see how wicked sin is so that we then turn to Jesus and receive his cleansing, his forgiveness, so that we then, upon being forgiven, if we could put ourselves for a moment in the category of Amnon and imagine that God himself reaches down to us and says, I forgive you, I love you, I have a plan for your life, we have nothing else to say, but that is grace, amazing grace. And that grace should empower us to then carry out the, the good deeds that he has for us. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 and following, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world like Amnon, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, and the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature's children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. We were no different Two words, but God, being rich in mercy, come on people, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you and I have been saved and raised up with him, though we were like Amnon. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, why did he do this? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should go and walk in them amen, amen. praise God for his grace and that's what we're going to do now as we come to the Lord's Supper we're going to praise God for the fact that he has died on the cross for our sins he has cleansed us of all unrighteousness, and he tells us to repent and turn away from such ungodly passions. At this time, I invite the men to come forward and prepare to pass out the Lord's Supper elements. During this time, I just ask you to be in a time of prayer, that you would seek the Lord's painful examination of your heart, just very privately, just close your eyes and bow your heads and say, Lord, show me how I'm like Amnon. Convict me of my sin and help me to find the grace I need to turn away from that sin. The Lord's Supper today is a reminder for us that as horrible as our sin is, 
is Jesus took an even more horrible death to pay the price for that sin. And it's our way of remembering that grace. God did not leave us in our sin, but by his grace, he paid for it. So that by grace, we have been saved through faith in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It's not of our own doing. It's a gift from God. It's not a result of works so that none of us can boast. Lord, remind us this morning, don't leave us in the horrors of our sin. Those of us who have never trusted Christ this morning, I pray, God, that you would open eyes and ears to hear about the grace, the gift of forgiveness and cleansing, and that they would turn and trust in Christ as Savior, put their hope and trust only in the body and blood of Jesus Christ that was the punishment that we deserved. Lord, those of us who are in Christ, trusting solely in your sacrifice, remind us this morning of the immeasurable riches of your grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ, that we might be motivated to walk in holiness again.